Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero set the bar, plus Eric joins us live to answer your questions. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. I'm Maria Menounos, and you're tuned in to After Buzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show that is just for you, the 83 Weeks fans. We break down all the juicy reveals, the fan reactions straight from you guys, and in a very special episode, we are welcoming back to our show, Eric Bischoff himself. Yes, that is right. He will be joining us in just a few minutes. And you guys better all come get gathered in the chat roll, get the conversation started, because you can submit your questions there and Eric will answer them. This is the first time ever. We are so excited that we have Eric on live. When we used to do this with him, we weren't able to be live. So now you guys can all chime in. And I'm so glad that you all have joined us in the chat roll. I want to say hello to Blackbird Heater, one who just, you know, wanted me to stumble a little bit on that, <laughs> so he has that lovely username, but everybody else hanging out, welcome! We are live, make sure you hit that subscribe button, because this is the channel that releases all those fun little clips from 83 Weeks too. and speaking of that, the uh, gentleman to my far left is the digital producer of Eric's channel, and he makes all those little clippies and things. Hello, Steve Kaufman. Hello, I do make all those little clips, like, uh, did Rey Mysterio sleep with Jennifer Aniston, which has 100,000 views. Are you really? Yes, really. That was a pretty juicy story, actually. What's funny is I, it didn't wind up in my first batch, so we're months out from the actual episode. I lo- But I love when those can still get out of the park yeah. months later. And that one wasn't even from this episode about Halloween Havoc 1997, which we're going to be breaking down a little bit. And we have a, a pro wrestler, a real live one, guys, right in the house, right here to talk about it with us. Well, did, did he sleep with Jenna Radisson? No, he did not. Oh, man. <laughs> that is the curious I'm, voice oh, of George Hermosa. I mean, I'm sorry. Watch the clip. No Ray and Rachel action? <laughs> right, they could together, they would have been Rachel. Oh, my God. Get it? Rachel. Oh, Ray and Rachel. That Rachel. was before they were doing the whole celeb name combining <laughs> thing. Very great. Rachel. R-E-I-C-H. Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, well, chat will <laughs> chime in on that one. I want to say hello to wrestling otaku Michael James, Mike, Craig, Arthur. Arthur is his first time tuning in live. Welcome, guys. If you have joined us a little bit late, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. We do this live at 5 p.m. Pacific on Wednesdays right here on the 83 Weeks channel. So make sure you do join us live because I don't know if I mentioned that uh, Eric's going to be here answering <laughs> all your questions. So, oh, oh, honey, Andre, you can go ahead and Google me before you make those sassy comments because <laughs> you're the one who's not in the know. But you guys are all going to be in the know very soon. And we did get a lot of juicy info about Halloween Havoc 1997 on this episode of 83 Weeks, which sadly, though, they had to kick off with the death of Brian Pillman. And this is something we have talked a lot about Brian Pillman on this show. And I kind of think that. Eric speaking about him in such a positive way and pointing out what he really did for the business and how 
different and unique he was has really kind of changed Brian's legacy. Do you guys agree? I think it's easier to say in hindsight. and But I do think a lot of this talk was back then, too, because this was pre-Attitude Era. This was 97-ish. But he was doing a lot of Attitude Era-ish stuff in mm-hmm. 95 and 96 before that was even a thing. So it's fair to say that he kind of not officially kicks out of the Attitude Era, but he was something where people looked at him and be like, wow, this can really work in this wrestling environment. No, I definitely think he's a certain linchpin. And then the fact that he's not around after it allows all of us to say, oh, man, he'd have fit in forever. He knew the business in and out. I'm not saying he wouldn't have. I am saying the second you get no hypothetical, it's just like, oh, man, he gets to go down. Yeah. And especially, like, he, he fit in so in so many roles where even though maybe, let's say, his, let's say his unfortunate passing never happened, there would have always been a place for him because even before he was injured uh, or even before he came back, he was doing commentary on Shotgun Saturday Night. Mm-hmm. Like, just imagine, like, he probably would still be a color commentator these days had he been around. Like, he was that ahead of the business. Like, you always hear stories about, like, you know, Jericho saying things that he was doing backstage, but always, like, he was always working. Like, he was just always very ahead of the game. Like, he was doing things that WWE or WCW or even ECW didn't do until, you know, Brian Pillman made it possible. I agree. Um, Also, shout out to Streaming the Magic. Your question has been screenshotted and will be asked to Eric Bischoff. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that super chat, Streaming the Magic. We are going to ask your question uh, second, because I have a really good one first. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, somebody else that I love in this wrestling biz is Lanny Poffo. He is one of my favesies as a person and as a character. And it was kind of interesting to get this little tidbit about how Randy was taking care of his brother back at this time. And Eric does kind of admit that he brought Lanny on because of Randy's insistence that he do so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that's all that uncommon. The nepotism in the pro wrestling business, would you say? And even, too, I think it's a little unfair to kind of... Because there's this story going around that says, like, oh, that just shows how much We are not going to talk about that story, George. What story? Lanny Poffo? Oh, not that one? Oh, okay, good. No, 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 because the story's always been like, oh, that just shows how much WCW wasted money. They spent money on Lanny Poffo, even though he was never once on WCW, but that's just half the story. The part of the story, looks like the full story is, well, Randy Savage took money out of his paycheck to help support his brother. Like, so that's not really taking money out of WCW, it's taking money out of Randy Savage. That just shows how much of a family man that Randy was, and the rumor, the big rumor was that one of the reasons why he never went in the Hall of Fame when he was alive not because of any beef with Vince McMahon, because he wanted the Poffos to all go in together. Mm-hmm. He wanted him, his brother Lanny, his father Angelo Poffo to go in together to the Hall of Fame. That's why we never saw Randy go in, you know, when he was alive as an individual. Mm-hmm. And Lanny's made some headway just even in the last few years as a commentator and with his own podcast, mm-hmm. which was really great. Do you think that WCW maybe missed an opportunity to put him on the mic as a commentator or something else? I would... I would say the fact that he's, I wouldn't say only there, but the primary reason he was there was that Randy Savage took money away from himself to give it to his brother hurt everyone's perception of Lanny. Because like, realistically, like if you were trying to hire me and I said, okay, but I'm going to take 20 k a year that you were going to give to me and I'm going to give it to George. How are you going to think about George? I dig it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> but you're but you understand but you understand any idea you have is going to be perceived as oh, he's only here cuz Steve wants him here. Like I like I know Randy meant yeah. well, but he may have done Lanny a disservice. That's true. I mean, I do think that they may have missed the boat on Lanny Puffle. I mean, the guy was a genius. Yeah, no, I'm So true. Nah, nah. He was a genius. <laughs> 
But that's but like if I were if I were landing and had a say in it, I would say, you know what? I don't think they're going to take me very well if they think I'm if they think I'm only here because of you. Yeah. But also too, it just depends what Lanny wanted. Like I'm sure maybe Lanny was okay with it. it once again, yeah. I'm saying twenty K, I believe the number was in the six figures. Yeah. That it might be like, I have a job, maybe I can break through the Maybe I can break through the noise. Yeah. Fan Arthur says Lanny Poffo made more than staying to chill at the house for five years. <laughs> like, hey, I'm sure Lanny came on the road. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he did the things and the stuff and the, made I, the appearances. I don't know. I think those were independent contractor contracts, meaning he would have had to pay to come out. Mm-hmm. It would have been a whole thing. Well, we did get some current talk as well on this episode, which they're doing a little bit more of these days. When Eric mentioned AEW and how they've done a lot of things right, he kind of started to say they're hotter than, but didn't really finish his (laughs) thought there. was almost as if he sort of caught himself, didn't want to sound like maybe he's throwing NXT under the bus, but it certainly sounded as if that's where he was going with his comments. Did you guys catch that too? Am I, I caught, reading too I much caught, in? I caught some other things that happened in this episode where I honestly, after he finished talking about it, I'm like, I think that was more of an insight on why he's not with the WWE, just because he sounded so passionate about what he believes goes, in, goes into a wrestling program and how he thinks it. And I know that sometimes that may conflict with Vince's ideology of how a wrestling program should be presented. So I looked at that more like, yeah, like I, I just think he has his own vision of how wrestling should be presented. AEW is doing a little bit differently as well that I think Eric maybe I'm going to ask him like if he's been keeping up with the product. I also loved everything he said about the product being hot mm-hmm. versus the matches. That if you're a wrestling company relying on your matches to bring people in week to week you're kind of failing. You you want them to tune into NWA Power. You want them to tune into AEW Dynamite. You want them to tune in Monday Night Raw. You don't want them to tune in to Kenny Omega whoever. Right. That You, you limit your draw that way. That I, I thought that was pretty fascinating. Well, Eric talks a lot on this episode also, you know, speaking of WWE slash WWF at the time, about the WWF narrative, about big bad billionaire Ted and how Eric is trying to pilfer all their talent and, you know, poor little Vince and little WWF at the time just couldn't quite get their bearings with big bad billionaire Ted all over their butts. Do you think that Eric has been successful in kind of destroying that narrative I think eighty three. I think eighty three weeks has been successful in thwarting two different narratives. One narrative was that the Eric Bischoff that was the evil heel on WCW television mm-hmm. was the same Eric Bischoff that ran WCW. I think he did a great job of thwarting that narrative, and I think he's doing a pretty good job of thwarting the narrative that you see on shows like The Monday Night War because you know history is written by the winners. Right. That if you were to watch The Monday Night Wars on the WWE Network, they'd make no mention of anything that makes the WWE look negative. Anything that makes it how Eric says it, which he never once poached a talent. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan didn't work for the WWF when he was in negotiations with WCW. Like, Eric, to his credit, never once watched WWF TV and, like, I'm going to steal him and him and him and him. He wasn't like that. And right. I think he did a great job of letting us know that because the character he played on television and, to by his own admission, didn't do a great job of separating himself as an executive executive and a TV executive. Right. That he didn't do a great job of separating those two things. And I think this show has done a great job of separating those two things. He was just a successful TV executive mm-hmm. who bet on himself to be a top heel on TV. 
Right, because what was true at the time also is that WWF was sort of trying to rebuild after the whole steroid scandal thing, which they took a huge hit from, right, George? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, a little bit, just because in 94, like, business was just down altogether. Mm -hmm. So it, it's good that they were able to bounce back. And this was during a time where WWF was, you know, coming back hot as well. Like, Austin was picking up. But again, the argument maybe like, well, Austin, they would have never had to go to that route had they would have never been coming from behind, which obviously Eric was just so successful with the NWO and Hall and Nash. And Halloween Havoc 97 did, like, amazing business. Yeah. Like, this did one of the highest buy rates ever, like, higher than, mo uh, to the time, like, most WrestleManias. Yeah. Like, that just shows how successful, like, they were they were doing, they were being. They absolutely were. And, of course, before we bring Eric in, we'll give him just a few more minutes. We want to talk a little bit about this classic match between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. Is this really heralded? Is that great of a match? Or is it now looking back where we go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, it was. It was always this great. Both. Okay. Like, but both of them. It's it's hard to watch a match in real time and be like, this is the greatest match I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really, like, that's too much hyperbole. You're too close to really get there. Looking back in 2019, you're like, oh, this is a really, really good match. I can watch a match in real time. I thought that of Undertaker Shawn Michaels from WrestleMania 25. But, but like, Halloween Havoc 97, I didn't watch it live, mm -hmm. but I just heard a lot of things about it. And there was, a, like, a, the, one of the best things about it is there was a lot of heat leading up to the match. Like, it was mask versus title. I know there was a lot of controversy about, like, Eric um, wanting the, the mask off of Rey Mysterio and things like that. So, yeah, I think it, it lives up to every single expectation. Mm. That clip is upcoming. <laughs> <laughs> well, and on that note, let's maybe take an opportunity and pick the brain of the man himself, Eric Bischoff. So you guys give us just a second here. We are going to toss to a quick break. You'll see a little graphic, and we will be connecting with Eric. So we will be back in just a few minutes with the host of 83 Weeks, Eric Bischoff. Stay tuned. Welcome back to After 83 Weeks. Joining us now, the former president and executive producer of WCW, the host of 83 Weeks, and the most resilient man in the wrestling business. Please say hello to Eric Bischoff. Good evening, everybody. Hey, I miss you guys. I know it's been way too long. We are so happy to see you once again and to have you on live for the first time with all the fans. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's about time. I'm glad we could do it. Us too. We got to ask how you're doing. Doing great. Doing great. Uh, Mrs. B and I are going to be wrapping things up here in Stanford towards the end of the month. We've got some travel to do this month. So uh, we'll get back from our travel and wrap things up. And we're going to head down to Florida and hang out with the kids over the holidays. Mm -hmm. Spend a month down in Florida and then head back to Wyoming. Looking forward to time with the fam, I'm sure. Happy to hear that. And now that we do have some time with you, thanks for everybody for waiting through our little technical difficulties there. We're getting this worked out. But we've got you now, and you know, we have tons of burning questions for you, Eric. We are going to keep most of them about Halloween Havoc 1997, as you did on your episode of the show. So on that note, I would like to fire off my first question, which is, if you never really talked to Rob Van Dam about coming into to WCW around this time, does that mean that Vince McMahon told you personally that your time with WWE was over? <laughs> wow. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to gauge where you're at with these questions, Eric. <laughs> wow, man. 
It's you know it's nine o'clock at night here on the East Coast, and I, I was up early this morning, so you're catching me. Uh, I'm a little uh, I'm a little rusty here, but I I think you conflated two questions, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I did, I did, and we won't really harass you like that. So I will ask a, a question from one of our live chatting fans right now. They're excited to have you live for the first time ever. Streaming the Magic wants to know if you were able to acquire WCW. Do you believe it would have been neck and neck with WWE today. What do you think? You know that that's uh, that's a hypothetical, and I I stay away from those. I would like to think so. And by the way, yes, I did have a very good conversation with Vince McMahon. So just to answer your first question, <laughs> um, but you know, I I stay away from hypotheticals just because there's no right way to answer it. You know, I would like to think that had we purchased uh, WCW and the plans would have gone through that we would have been competitive. Um, but who knows? You know, that was 20 years ago, and who knows what could have happened between then and now. Well, Streaming the Magic paid five bucks to ask you that question, so thank you for answering it <laughs> hypothetical nonetheless. George? Uh, we, we're going to talk about Halloween Havoc for a second. Uh, Raymond Service to Eddie Guerrero. Everybody knows how amazing, how great this match was. By the way, I still have the man bun. I know you're wondering. Um, no, I was going to ask you about that. I saw <laughs> you in L.A. for the SmackDown premiere. Yeah. We didn't get a chance to hang out too long, but um, I was glad to see you still have it. Yes, yes, I will still have it. I will let you know when the hair versus hair match is going to happen in uh, <laughs> my end. Go. But, uh, yeah, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. They had a mask versus title. Uh one of the best WCW matches of your tenure. Is there any other matches that you can think of from your tenure that was just outstanding, maybe the best WCW match uh, other than this one? No, I really can't. And that's one of the um, things I really like about doing these podcasts with Conrad is, you know, it forces me to go back and review the pay-per-view or the Nitro or whatever it is we're going to talk about in a given week and familiarize myself with it because try to, you know, if you could put yourself in my shoes for a minute or your listeners at least, you know, in, in my career, I've probably produced, directly produced over 5,000 hours of professional wrestling. Assuming six matches per hour, do the math, you know, there's probably been over thirty or 40,000 matches that I've been involved with throughout my career in, in terms of producing for television. And it's really hard to remember them all or to remember the standouts. But when I go back and I watch these pay-per-views again, it, I mean, going back and seeing Eddie and Ray, you know, from 1997, I completely forgot about it. You know, it, it's and it was so amazing. And that's why I love going back and watching these matches, because it it's like watching them for the first time for me. Uh, so my question is from at Mr. Clawmaster, and he said it wasn't addressed on the Halloween Havoc 97 episode, but why was Kern Hedding coming out with the WCW Cruiserweight title instead of the WCW US title? And I know we've been having some technical difficulties tonight, so I just sent you a link specifically to the picture. This He was for sure holding the Cruiserweight title, not the US title. And I'm curious if there was any snafu you might be aware of. Wow, someone no, was paying close I attention there. Yeah, no, I don't think it's a snafu. I think, you know, I remember, you know, Kurt and I having a conversation where he was talking about dropping some weight. He felt <laughs> like he was getting too heavy. And I think he was willing himself to be a cruiser weight. You know, it's like if you if you if you visualize something in your mind and you, you speak about it and it goes out there into the universe, 
you know, oftentimes those things become a reality. And I think, you know, for, for Kurt, you know, walking down the aisle with a cruiserweight belt was his way of, you know, convincing himself how to lose 30 or 40 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Okay. (laughs) It's just as simple as like, you guys couldn't find the U S belt. Is it just that simple? I, no, I don't think that's it. I don't know what it was. A rib? It could just be a rib. Uh, we may never, we may never know. You talked a little bit very fondly about Brian Pillman on this episode as well, and I feel like you've really been successful in kind of changing his legacy in speaking about him and his time at WCW. Are there any wrestlers, any WCW guys that you feel like have a bad reputation that they didn't earn? Or anybody's uh, backstage behavior that you'd like to set straight? Who gets a bad rep that they don't deserve? Oh. You know, probably everybody at some point in time, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, You know, most talent that I've worked with over the past, um, they've all had their moments. And some of those moments were um, better than others. So I think, you know, it's hard to pick one person out that consistently kind of got a bad rap. Uh, Look, Brian was, you know, and I hope I haven't given anybody the impression that Brian and I were good friends and we were tight and everything was copacetic because, I mean, it was was a, it was a very combustible relationship, you know, to to a large degree, but it was a working relationship in, in the truest sense of the word, not in the, in the, in the business sense of the word. Um, but, you know, we definitely had differences of opinions and things like that. But I just, you know, I've just always enjoyed working with Brian. I I never, as difficult as things got with him sometimes, it, I, it never got personal, if that makes sense. And as far as other people, you know, look, you know, Diamond Dallas Page got a bad rap, you know, for a long time just because he was so positive and so aggressive. <laughs> and to this day, you know, if I pick up my phone and I see it's DDP, it's like, oh, Fuck, do I have 45 minutes to listen? <laughs> <laughs> I, I much prefer to get texts from him, you know, but because he just, he ta- you know, he's just so positive and he talks and talks and he's always selling and always pitching. And I think, you know, there were times when he probably got a bad rap for trying to put himself over, yeah. you know, too much and push himself too hard. And it's wasn't that wasn't it. It's just he's got a massive heart. He's always been super passionate and sometimes that rubs people the wrong way <laughs> including including me <laughs> i know that the typical answer is business as usual but uh, halloween havoc 97 as well as stark 97 had two of the highest buy rates not just in wcw history but in all of pro wrestling beating out wrestlemania there's got to be some form of like celebration whether it's maybe you know your pride kind of saying like oh cool we beat wrestlemania we beat multiple wrestlemanias whether it's financially like there can't be just business as usual like you guys had to have like some kind of like something where it's like yeah we did that did you pat yourself on the back at all <laughs> no but i did have a couple cocktails at the betty boot bar at the mgm grand hotel <laughs> <laughs> a great freaking time <laughs> No, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about you know buy rates. Now I don't know what it's like now, but back in '97, you know, you put out a pay per view, and you wouldn't begin to get a a report in, in terms of what your buy rates were for 90 to 120 days, and even then they would start trickling in, and it would usually take a year, sometimes longer, before the full accounting of any one pay per view really settled in. So it wasn't like a television rating where you found out a day or two later. 
it was something that occurred over a period of you know six to twelve months. And by the time you finally got the numbers in, hell, you were six months deep into another set of pay per views mm-hmm. and you forgot all about it. So, <laughs> you know, you, you didn't really have a chance to pat yourself on the back from a financial perspective. Now you know when you sell it out, you know you know things are great. When you have a big merchandise, you know you're hot, um, and you can tell by the, the you know the general buzz within the industry whether or not uh, pun intended by the way. Um, whether or not you're hot. Um, but it wasn't like we had any one single thing we could point to and say, wow, we achieved this or we beat WWF at that. Because, like I said, we didn't get the info in for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So this is a bit of a weird question, but I've seen it multiple times on Twitter and in our chat. When Conrad mentioned uh, Rey Mysterio's agent, Michael Scott, and you kind of no-sold the Office reference, the question everyone wants to know is, have you seen NBC's The Office or you just didn't catch the refer- catch the joke Conrad made? Uh, both. Okay. I've, ne- I've never watched The Office, and I don't know who the hell Michael Scott is. <laughs> that settles it. Ditto, That's what- same with me. I had no idea what the hell that was. Really? Yeah. Okay. No no, I, look, and it's not easy to fool me, you know, because I don't remember names all that well. You know, I, and I, you know, names, certain people I don't pay attention to their names. I don't feel like I have to remember them for more than a minute or two of meeting them. So it's really easy to lay a name on me from 20 years ago and say, hey, do you remember that guy? And you know, unless it was somebody close to me, 99 times out of 100, I probably won't. You and me on Patreon, we're going to watch the pilot of The Office. <laughs> we'll find the time. I'd watch you watching that. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, on this episode of the show, you talked a little bit about the big bad billionaire Ted narrative that WWF was kind of selling at this time and the idea that you were pilfering talent from them, all of that. Do you feel like with 83 weeks and now that you've had this chance to tell your story the last couple of years, do you feel like you've corrected that belief amongst fans and everyone? I think I've given people more to think about. I think people now have uh, another perspective and don't necessarily have to believe a one-sided version of history uh, or, or a narrative. Uh, I, you know, I won't deny that. That's part of the pleasure I get out of doing this. Is 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 is, is, is remix. Is, 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 um. So. All right. So uh, Eric Bischoff's audio is uh is a remix. Is he back? I'm sure he's back. I think he never... There we go. Oh. There we go. We got him. Perfect, perfect, perfect. No? Um... So we heard is, 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 <laughs> where, where we left off with Eric. We have heard that he loves hip-hop music. I think maybe he was just trying to remix himself there. We are going to try to remix uh, this this... It's FaceTime right now, or this uh, Skype, so just stand by for one second. All right. Hold out there, chat roll. I believe we're just going to stay right here with you for just a moment. How juicy is this conversation that we're having with Eric right it's now? It's going to get even juicier. I got some uh, more current questions coming up. We're going to find out how we respond to that. Not WWE, but... Uh, now we have... So, um... Eric, I think your audio again is... Um... Unplug and plug back in that microphone. Everybody in the live chat, you guys have been so fantastic tonight. Please keep these questions coming. Uh, I know Eric's a little tired, but we're going to... We're going to keep him for another minute or two if we get this all going okay here. Uh, Everybody's still chatting in the chat roll. Arthur said he could not wait to watch Halloween Havoc 1996. Uh, His parents wouldn't let him buy it. Oh, we got Eric back. Love it. So, Eric, you were saying. Sorry about that. 
I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. The chat rule is guessing that you maybe spilled beer on your laptop. No, I'm drinking uh, LaCroix water. Oh, oh wow. wow. LaCroix. Who, who is this man? I, I was guessing it was, I don't know, company housing maybe? Switching, but, switching things up on us. WWE thought we were going to ask a question. So that we're, could be it. We're gonna wow. get, well, we're gonna get a little bit more current. You mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you watched the uh, first episode of AEW's Dynamite a couple times. Have you been keeping up with the show? And what do you think of their overall presentation of of Dynamite? I've dropped in on a couple episodes. I haven't sat. I watched the first episode. I actually watched the first episode three times in a row, and I watched the second episode. Um, I dropped in on a third for a little bit, and I may or may not try to drop in on some of it tonight. Is there is there anybody that stands out to you from AEW? Um, you know, nobody in particular, they all stand out. I mean, it's a hell of a roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of taking a wait and see, you know, uh, perspective of it. I'm, I'm more anxious to see what they're going to look like three months from now mm-hmm. and how they look now, you know, because there's a, it still has a new car smell. There's still <laughs> the new kid on the block. Um, and I may, and that's, this is by no means, I'm not you know suggesting this is a challenge of any kind for them. I think they're going to do extremely well. But I think it's going to take them a while to settle into a groove and for us all to get to know the characters, including me, a little bit better and start seeing who stands out among the crowd. But they've got a hell of a roster, and, and I enjoy the show. You know, Vince asked me, actually, a couple of days after the first uh, episode aired, you know, what I thought, and I was pretty honest with him. Um, I thought the action was good, but I thought, you know, what made that show really stand out to me was just how engaged the audience is. I mean, the the audience to me made their show so much better than the NXT show. Not that there's anything wrong with the NXT show. The action in the ring was great. The characters are great. There's a lot of great things about it. But it's, you know, when you put a, a, a live event inside of a small confined confined studio, kind of like TNA, I don't care how great the action is in the ring. It just doesn't have that big event feel to it. And you don't get the energy that you get from the audience. And that energy in the in the arena that we see on the screen translates to the viewer. And when you don't have that energy, like I say, no matter how great the stuff is in the ring, it just feels less than. Is that something that you suggested to anyone at NXT, or you think they already know that? No, I'm pretty sure that they know that. They're not going to learn anything from me at this <laughs> point, but <laughs> believe me. Um, but, you know, the business model, they're, they're not set up right now. Now, maybe they'll tour in the future. You know, that was a problem with TNA. You know, when I got to TNA, there was a lot of things that, you know, we tried to get them to do. And once they actually took the show on the road, now it's an expensive proposition. There's no mistaking it. It's a very big commitment to go out and take your show on the road and televise it. Uh, It's much more cost effective to produce two or three or four shows inside of a soundstage than it is to produce one show or maybe two shows uh, while you're touring it around the country. But. You know, I think when you go back and you look at TNA, look at all the great talent that they, you know, brought in and out of there between Sting and Rob Van Dam and Booker T and Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy and you name it. You know, TNA brought them through there, and it never really moved the needle. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that had nothing to do with the talent necessarily, is it just didn't feel big. You know, and I've used this kind of analogy before. Um, imagine, you know, tonight the World Series is going on, right? 
Can you imagine taking the same game, all right, the Astros and the Senators, and putting them in a little league ball field, and there'd be fifty or sixty people, you know, in the bleachers. No one would care. <laughs> and and I think that's kind of the same thing. Unless it feels big, the audience at home doesn't feel a need to care about it. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's just my my point of view. And that was the same problem TNA had. I think it's the same problem NXT is going to have in the long term. If if AEW continues to tour which is a big financial commitment. It's a long-term proposition. You're not going to get a return on that investment investment anytime in the first two or three or four years. But if they're looking beyond two or three or four years and they're looking at a five-year plan or a 10-year plan and they continue to tour that model, then they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, well, uh, this seems like the right time to pose to you the question that we got the most from all of the fans most recently from Maurice here in our live chat. So we have to relay it to you, and they are dying to know if AEW has reached out to you or if you plan on working for them anytime in the future. I have not spoken with anybody from AEW. Uh, not, not one conversation. The last conversation I had with anybody that's currently in AEW... Um, was probably Cody Rhodes, and that was about two years ago. And I was just in L.A. It was right after he left WWE, and I called him just to congratulate him and and let him know how much I respected his decision. Uh, it was a big decision. He was, you know, leaving a very, you know, a solid paycheck every two weeks and a great opportunity. And he was doing it because he believed in himself and he wanted to do it his way. And I called him to tell him how much I respected that. I haven't had a conversation with him or anybody else at AEW since. Do you have a desire to continue working in the wrestling business? Uh, of course. You know, I always will. It, you know, it's what I've done for the largest part of my adult life. And I still have a passion for it. But, it, you know, it, and I think this latest, you know, experiment, you know, probably proved to me more than anything that it has to be the right opportunity not just right for whoever I were to work with, but right for me as well. Um, I'm at a point in my life where there's certain things I really, really want to do, and there's certain things in, in, in my life I really don't want to do. <laughs> and, and and I have to be honest enough with myself and everybody else to kind of you know, address those head on. Thank, um, thank you, for, yes, uh, thank you. <laughs> for your candor there. Uh, since we're on the topic of outside wrestling promotions, have you seen NWA Power on YouTube? And do you think they have the same? Their studio wrestling style would have the same problem you're mentioning with AEW or anything similar. Well, now the two different models, though. Mm. You know, AEW's on TNT, NXT's on USA Network. Those are you know cable terrestrial television models, or not terrestrial, but cable television models. That's a completely different animal. I, to answer your first question, yes, I have seen it. Uh, David Lagana actually sent me a couple of links the other day, oh. and I did watch it and was very impressed with it. But it's a YouTube proposition. It's not a television proposition. The audience for YouTube is going to be different than the general audience for television. I think what they're doing is unique enough in the way it's being presented that it probably can work for their goals. Now, would that same show work on a major cable outlet? Don't think so. 
I agree. I, I like it exactly where it is. Who's talking to Christy over there? She's got a conversation. I'm just trying to roll, you know, keep this chat roll behaving, keep these boys behaving. <laughs> we're we're so uh, grateful that you gave us a little bit of your time tonight, Eric. Our chat roll, I just asked them, any more burning questions? Clock's ticking, guys. Gentlemen here. I mean, I got a bunch of questions. I mean, I mean since we're going to keep on it, I mean, you mentioned on the podcast that you were going to, your, your plan for working in WWE was going to be two to three years. Like, why two to three? Like, why, why not, like, more than that? Um, I mean, here's the honest answer. I'm 64 years old. You know, I don't plan on working until I'm 70. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain things in my life that I really, really want to do um, still while I'm young enough and active enough and healthy enough to do them. Um, I, I came here, you know, I don't want to go too deep into this just because we're not going to have enough time to really do a decent job. But I came to, to WWE. I agreed to take the job because I had a certain goal in mind. There was a certain thing. There, were, there, were, there was one really big thing that I wanted to try to accomplish while I was here. And had I been able to accomplish that, I probably would have said, okay, great, check that box, time to move on. I, I didn't come here with the idea in mind that I'd be here for 5 or 10 or 15 years just because I have no desire to, to be in a corporate environment for that length of time. Um, but, you know, it just didn't work out. So, I, you know, I've got a beautiful home. My wife and I have a beautiful home in Wyoming. We want to travel. There's a lot of things that we still want to be able to do. And working 80 hours a week at WWE would, would, would put a little bit of a <laughs> – a dent in those plans. <laughs> well, that's understandable. We got one last question for you, Eric, from Blast Thunder. I think this one will make you smile. Who would you rather be stuck in an elevator with, Jim Cornette or Vince Russo? Cornette, because at least I could have a conversation <laughs> that would be, um, look, we may not get along by the time that elevator got to the wherever it was going. It might, <laughs> it might be a bloodbath. It might look... <laughs> it might look Looked like a cooler of a butcher shop by the time we got done, but at least it would have been interesting. And funny enough, hatred of Vince Russo would have been one thing you guys share, or at least dislike, harsh dislike of Vince Russo. Yeah, I don't hate anybody, but you know, it's certainly one thing that. Look, I I enjoy listening to Jim Cornette, and he's a smart guy. I mean, he's he's crazy in a way. <laughs> um, he's very opinionated and, and all of that, but you know, he's smart. There's a lot of you know when I listen to to, to Jim, I you know, wow, he's got a point there. Um, it, but he's it, at least at least he's real. You know what I mean? Yeah. You may not like him. He may say things that you know you find distasteful. He, he may say things you may not agree with. Whatever it is, but at least he's real. He's not phony. And in that respect, I, you know, I wouldn't mind hanging out with him. I got no problem with Jim. Well, Eric, we will let you hit the hay here now, but I do want to just thank you so much again for your time and also just tell you that the way that you have handled everything the last few weeks is just so darn refreshing and it's just really impressive and something that I hope other people who are dealing with things in their life kind of look to you as a good example. And Mrs. B, because I listened to her podcast about resiliency and uh, she dropped some juicy tidbits over there too. And she's, it sounds like you couldn't have done it without her. Uh, that's true. That's true. There's a lot of things I couldn't have done without her. So 
Uh, I'm, but I'm glad you listened to her podcast, so thanks for the plug. Yeah, it's great. And, of course, we will keep listening to 83 Weeks. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And everyone in the chat, too, is saying, oh, my God, Eric's the god. We love you. Thanks for the talk, Tommy the Thumb says. Bless Thunder says thanks for answering his question. And we have had such fun with you, as usual. So good to have you back. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. Uh, let's do it next week. Okay, well, yeah. All right. Sure, we didn't, why we not? didn't piss them off, guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Bye-bye. Thank you. Great seeing you guys. Thank, Thank you for you. Oh, all right. Well, all of the folks in the live chat, you guys here, thank you so much for your great questions. As you heard, Eric, we'll be right back here next week. We'll be talking about... Um, uh, I want to say When Worlds Collide. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure the... the... George has a whole thing about when Worlds Collide isn't where Chris Jericho was, but it is. It's a Maybe whole thing. they haven't announced it yet. All right. Well, either way, we will be here. Eric will be here. And we hope you will be here, too. Hit that subscribe button on the channel so you get all the notifications. And come back on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Where do they hit you up, Steve? Uh, they hit me up on YouTube. Or not on, well, on this YouTube, but also on Twitter, almost exclusively, at Steve Kaufman. There's K-A-U-F. And, and, and I'm involved in a lot of stuff, including Match Monday. You can go to matchmonday.com figure out what that's about. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram, G Hermosa, G H E R M O Z A. I cover Monday Night Raw in Spanish here. I cover After 83 Weeks. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, you can find me all over. And you guys can always send your questions for Eric or for me personally to at Christie Reports. Love to hear from you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please join us live. You can see we have a good time. See you next week. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.